good afternoon, everybody. It's a little after 5 o'clock, and uh, frankly, I'm not quite sure what happened there. I tried to log in with one computer, and uh, it wasn't letting me do it. So I had to uh, get in on another uh, computer, and we were able to slide on in there. So anyways, I appreciate everybody that uh, let me know that I was not on the air, and it uh, looks like today... <laughs> we have Zach and Mount Becca doing the screening, and uh, I suspect non-compliant Mary will be joining us at one point. And um, we have a special guest today, and her name is Candace Dyer. And, um, of course, my aunt is calling. Can somebody get the gate, please? Um, everybody likes to call me when I'm on the air. And, uh, you know, I've only been doing this show for five years now, so, you know, it's kind of ridiculous to think that anybody would know that uh, I'm doing this show, but, you know, people have important things to deal with. Anyhow, um, let's see where we're at. This is a podcast. This is a podcast that is brought to you by the Human Solution International. We are a 501c3 federally recognized nonprofit civil rights group, and we're about all civil rights, but we focused on cannabis prohibition because it's a specific uh, issue that has stoned so many people, um, but we've opened up in the last couple of years our mission to include uh, veterans' rights, to include uh, Native American civil rights, and also to include Disabled folks' civil rights. Does it limit ourselves to those things? No. It just puts our mission specifically to include those things. So if we were to do a project with another uh, nonprofit or if we were to apply for a grant or <coughs> if somebody was to question or challenge anything that we were doing as to our legitimacy to do it, uh, as has happened, uh, when we uh, put out a press release for the uh, Native American senator that we did a few, I don't know, a couple of months ago now, uh, Jonathan Windy Boy um, had been wrongly accused of things, and uh, we stood up for him. Well, it turned out that a number of people in the political community were, were coming to us, and they were challenging us, saying, well, who the heck are you, and how? Who, why are you putting out this press release? And we had to back it up and say, well, this is who we are. Uh, we're a federally recognized 501c3 civil rights organization, and this fits in our mission, and here's how. And, um, and it worked. And we were able to make some progress, and we were able to uh, have an impact by doing so. We've been out here for 10 years now, and... We're not a lobby group, even though I don't have any issue with doing lobby work, um, but we're not a political organization, even though um, we, we have and do some political work. Um, we're not about passing some BS law that allows a couple of people to do a couple of things as, as have been passed all across the country. Um, so many people that call themselves activists and advocates 
claim that, you know, well, there's 32 states that have medical laws and have, um, you know, all of these other different things and recreational laws and it's legal and everything's good. And yet if you look at the actual records and if you look at who's being attacked and what's happening to people, uh, what actually happens is that a few people that are connected and can qualify and have enough money to jump through the legal hoops are able to conduct business. And those people that can afford the prices that that business offers under the conditions that it offers and considering the products that it offers are able to do that business without too much to worry about. Most of the laws that are passed in most states allow for some simple possession, which is fine, better than nothing, of course it is. Um, but it always has a place where it falls short. And there's always a place where um, you can and will be a criminal. And in many cases, such as California, there's now more criminals in California than there ever were because of the new law. Why? Because more people need the medicine and are willing to risk taking a chance to provide and produce the medicine, then the law will allow. And there's no outrage about it. In fact, there's uh, apathy about it. There's a general sense of accomplishment that we've already finished this. And um, my case is over. It's been over for years, but I faced 12 years in prison over my case. I've been locked up four, five times. Um, for nonviolent cannabis uh, uh, crimes with giant quotes around it. And that's the reality of it all. And I potentially I could be arrested again. Not saying that I'm committing any illegal act, but once an outlaw, always an outlaw. I refuse or have not complied with anybody's uh, licensing terms with with regards to cannabis, and I just can't see how I need to apply for a license to grow plants. It just doesn't make any damn sense to me. And I can't see growing six plants is enough for anybody. I just, you know, as a farmer, I've always been a farmer, I've lost two-thirds of a crop before. Well, what happens if I lose two-thirds of six? How does that work out for me? Probably not enough to get me through my next crop. And what if I need oil? Oh, my goodness, that six plants will be gone in three seconds. And so will the oil. And then what happens? You know, I talked to a friend of mine who uh, doesn't live in California, and she gets oil from an illicit source. This person's a doctor, a physician with a license and risks it. And she deals with people who have cancer and have other various ailments and illnesses that are severe. And she risks her license on a regular basis. And the person that she gets her oil from risks their livelihood and freedom on a daily basis. But you know what? She called me up to tell me some news today. She said, you know, Joe, I have a client, somebody I've worked with for a while using oil, and this person had a uh, pretty serious cancer, and she was doing really good for a while, and then all of a sudden she started feeling sick, 
or not well, I guess is the word she said. And she went to her doctor, and immediately the doctor said, well, we need to get you on another course of radiation. And the patient, client, said, you know what, why don't we do a PET scan first? The doctor agreed, and this is coming out of a major medical center in the U.S. It's known, well known. This client has no cancer. It's gone. And it wasn't the radiation that took it away, and it wasn't the chemotherapy that took it away, because that generally doesn't happen. It was the cannabis oil that took it away. And that doctor, doctor, licensed physician, didn't even want to consider anything or even checking, but went right to the bullet. Let's go throw some more radiation in your body. doctor was fine with that. Above all, harm none. Isn't that part of the Hippocratic Oath? I don't know. Hippocratic. Sounds a little hypocritic to me. Anyways, that's what this is all about, folks. Screw these laws. If you are faced with a bad law that says you cannot do this, but that law is immoral, unjust, what do you do? Unfortunately, we've got a lot of weak people in the world, and plenty of people would rather go sick and would rather suffer ailment, illness, or even death than break a law. I say, how dare you? That's what I say. I say, how dare us not fix this? Why don't we demand what's right? What is right with this plant? Tell me, what is right? A substance that has no known lethal value, why are we bothering to restrict it? Nobody has yet come to me with an accurate answer to that. Nobody in five years of doing a radio show, and I keep putting it out there, call me up and tell me why do we need to restrict this? Why? I just want to know why. Nobody's come up with a single answer. But more and more people are getting on board. More and more people are realizing that this is a basic civil right, a basic human right, and needs to be addressed. And so here we are. We're here to address it. So anyways, um, that's what this is all about. We're trying to end prohibition. We're not trying to pass a law. We're not trying to tax and regulate anything. We're not trying to give a license for anybody to have something. We're not trying to give you medical access. We're trying to make this not a crime anymore. We have people in prison today, in prison, and their crime is possessing, cultivating, manufacturing, sales, selling, transporting, conspiring to do any of the above, a plant. How dare us. That's all I can say. We're busy whining about the president, and it's us. This is our fault, people. This is us. president didn't fix it. Last president didn't fix it. president before that didn't fix it. And go all the way back to 1937, guess what? None of the presidents fixed it. I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on, your president didn't fix it. So I don't expect this president to fix it. You know who I expect to fix it? Us. And when we stand up large enough and loud enough, we'll fix it. It's all about education. This is about teaching people what in the hell are you afraid of? You afraid of being high? Okay, well, make an illegal action that causes harm to somebody a crime. It already is. Okay, so what's the problem? Keep telling me. Come at me. 
Give me a reason. Give me a reason why this plant needs to be illegal and prohibited. Because nobody has yet. All right. We're going to go straight to our first guest. And we have Candace Dreyer. Candace is an organizer with Cannabis Open Carry Walk. She's been a cannabis patient for 15 years. She has PTSD, severe anxiety, panic attacks, major depression disorder, personality disorder, been prescribed medications, one of them being three a day, <coughs> couldn't take care of her children. One time when she didn't have a medical insurance, somebody suggested that she tried cannabis. Turns out, best decision of her life. Common theme, yes. Happened before? Oh, yes. Many, many times. Anyways, um, life started getting better. So it looks like uh, she does believe no one should go to jail for a plant, which I like that. Um, she started fighting for cannabis with Cannabis Open Carry Walks a year ago, and uh, she started this fight, her son being locked up, and it's made her fight harder. Cannabis Open Carry Walks is a group of amazing activists all over Texas. Texas is a battleground. Um, anyways, they're spreading information and educating the public on why this needs to be legalized. I hate that word. I think it needs to be decriminalized um, rather than legalized, but whatever. We'll talk about that. And uh, that's what's going on here. So it sounds like an ally. sounds like we support each other's mission. Um, I can't see any reason why we couldn't work together. Let's say what's up. Candice Dreyer, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hi, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. I'm fantastic. I'm a little angry, but, you know, I tend to get that way from time to time. No, believe me, I am too after this little bill that came through. I mean, <laughs> kind of upset about a lot of the bills that came through through texas but i mean i know it's a baby step at least but i'm so tired of baby steps <laughs> well i i think if you just heard my rant you know where right. i stand on this um, you know and what do you say to this you know i have people tell me all the time about how we need to move in little bits and pieces because um the government and the, the, the existing legislation is just not going to stand for it. And I'm saying to myself, why don't we get ourselves strong enough to get them the hell out and put in a legislation that will stand exactly. for it? What, what exactly. Exactly. Uh, what is keeping us from doing that? I don't know. I really cannot give you that answer. Um, when we started the Cannabis Open Carry Walks, um, our thing was, you know, why isn't it going faster? And we were like, um, you, you know, we looked around and we were like, what's missing? You know, the people out there on the streets educating the people and um, talking to the public, um, getting the word out there and stuff. So that's basically what we do. We hit the streets and we get out there with our signs and flags, get people honking and all riled up and getting people coming to talk to us and educating them about it. Um, but, yes, it's not – this ain't going to work. I mean, we did w – we as Cannabis Open Carry Walks have done the little everything you're supposed to do in Texas, you know, go through all these little steps to get legalized and go and testify and cry your eyes out and tell them why you need cannabis. And you think they're listening, but they're not. And so, you know, it's time to step up our game and we need to start uh, getting these people out <laughs> that are against cannabis because we're just tired of waiting. Well, I tell you what, um, 
we're going to get probably um, interrupted by Craig Cecil, and I don't know if you know who he is, but he's a man who is um, currently serving life in prison for pot on a federal case. Oh, wow. And uh, he calls into my show every week, and he has for the last four or five years. And um, so he, when he calls, we take the call, and, and it'll cut into your time for a minute, but we'll come back to you it's as, all good. as soon as he does. But um, you know what I what I want to say is this: we we've been around for ten years, and we have um, established chapters all over the country, and we have been there for people that have um, picked up cases. I understand your son is, or at least was, in uh, jail or prison over this plant at one time. He is, yes. And he is now. He is now currently. Yes, he's been in there a year. He's okay. serving six. Okay, so you understand fully what this is all about. And yes, sir. I don't I know uh, if he went to trial or took a plea deal, but um, when we... He was bullied you know, into taking a deal before his court hearing even happened. Yeah, that happens a lot, and that's part of what, what this organization is all about, is educating people about their rights, um, standing right. behind people um, when they're going to court. Um, this is Craig, so I'm going to go ahead and take this call, and then okay. we'll get back to you as soon as we're done with him. No problem. This call is being recorded. It is subject to monitoring. Hang up to the call. Hello, Craig. How are you doing today? Hello, Joe. Well... I had uh, for lunch and supper and bologna sandwiches. <laughs> oh, yum. Man, I miss those bologna Today sandwiches. Is, uh, for the staff here at the federal prison at Terrebonne, it's bring your kids to work day. Oh, my God. So what, they, so what they did is they locked us all in the cell so that the staffers could walk around with their family. <laughs> oh, isn't that just special? I And, and uh, so, so what do the guards do? Do the guards say, well, this is where we take the inmates and beat the crap out of them? Or uh, this is where we deny basic uh, medicine rights? Or is this is where we, uh, this is where we feed them unedible food? I mean, how, how do, what is their conversations like? Oh, I would have to guess they had something catered in. You know, what you think and, you know, beef tips and all that. <laughs> Here's what we serve in the jail office. Sure, <laughs> sure. Wow. <laughs> I uh, I can't imagine that. You know, I, I can remember when I was locked up and it was in a county facility, which, you know, can be some of the worst holes in the, in the world, and they were having an inspection. And... The dorm that I was in housed, uh, God, what was it? I think it was uh, 250 guys in, you know, bunk to bunk to bunk. And they made us move. And what they were doing was they were taking that unit and they were painting it and refurbishing it so that they could do this walkthrough and show them how nice and clean everything was. And when I talked to some of the people there, you know, there was a lot of repeat offenders, and they said that that particular unit that we were in hadn't been touched in probably 15, 20 years. And they were doing this walkthrough just in a very uh, specific way. They were going down a certain path, and they were going into these particular rooms, and everywhere 
they were walking on this on this inspection with giant quotes around it, had been repainted, new light bulbs, you know, new vents, lids. I mean, you could tell when they, you know, walked you out to do laundry or whatever or rousted you and you had to go up on top of the roof. You could go through these areas and see what had been cleaned and not. And it was ridiculous. It was all a dog and pony show. Well, there was something similar, I don't know, a few years back, Barack Obama went to the federal prison in uh, El Reno, Oklahoma. And they actually closed one of the cell blocks and took all the inmates out. They took like three months perfecting that cell block. And when he came to the prison, that's the only place they took him in the show of that cell block. And he went right back up again. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I was wondering when, when he claimed to be the first president in maybe ever, in a long time, to ever visit a, a, a federal correctional facility. I thought to myself, I bet they spruced that place up pretty good for them. Oh, yeah. They, they really fixed it up. We saw some pictures of it. They, they put, like, a nightstand in there with a book, book on it in the cell. And, I mean, they, they, I mean, they spent two or three months just spishing up to one cell block so he could see it. You know, it's interesting. One of our members, um, one of our chapter leaders, um, is actually watching the show on a on a, a video feed, and he said he had done prison time in that prison. He said it it happened right after he had left, so he was aware of what you're talking about. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Now here, I don't think they would take them. Like I say, this prison they actually closed it after they built a brand new. Especially if you're growing some of your own in the backyard, 
And the other thing is that, you know, most of these people, you know, oh, it's legal, it's like beer, and, you know, they don't bother to look at the law until somebody's put the handcuffs on them. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, the other thing they do is when they pass a recreational law, then they, they make these leaps. They make these assumptions that now because it's accessible to more people legally, which I in quotes around it, that everybody's driving around high. So then they, they set up these, um, you know, DUI um, laws and checkpoints, and the problem with that is there's no way to validate if a person's actually impaired um, just by the presence of these cannabinoids in their bloodstream. And lots of people can handle large amounts of THC in their bloodstream and it doesn't impair their driver's ability where other people a small amount will. And there isn't a true way, like with blood alcohol, it's probably a whole lot more accurate as far as determining a uh, an intoxication level. And, you know, I've come up with an idea of, of creating like a, a video game that would be like a driving simulator that is already exists. You just have to put it together with a, you know, with a heart rate monitor and, and you know, a couple of different additions and put it in the back of the squad car. And, or, or if they set up a checkpoint to build one of those things into it, and if somebody, they want to claim somebody's impaired, put them in this program and see if they pass it. And it would be a pretty, uh, it would be a pretty simple solution, and it would be something that would be, if you failed it, it would be pretty hard to argue in court. Whereas, you know, they test for these metabolites and they test for these indicators, and they don't really mean anything because the presence of this doesn't necessarily mean that you're intoxicated at all. And unfortunately, they leave it up to the discretion of the arresting officer to say, oh, well, I believe from my interactions with him, he was impaired. Now, how do you defend against his opinion? Exactly. I mean, there has to be, there has to be some sort of actual measure. Exactly. And that's where, you know, like I say, with, uh, with alcohol, I mean, if you have uh, a blood alcohol limit of whatever it is, granted, I think they've lowered them maybe beyond what it should be, but... As it is today, uh, if your blood alcohol is, you know, way over that limit, which, you know, many times would indicate that you're definitely impaired, you'd be able to say, well, um, there's no question. You, you couldn't have that much blood in your alcohol or alcohol in your blood and not be impaired, whereas this just doesn't match. But this technology that I'm talking about, I'm pretty sure already exists. I think they have... Um, you know, programs for racing and for, you know, they certainly have it for pilots. Um, it, it, it could easily be adapted, uh, you know, for this sort of a road roadside test uh, situation. And I see them give statistics on uh, uh, people that were impaired drivers in accidents, impaired by marijuana. Unfortunately, I think they... They make that presumption just because they pull somebody over and they have the legal marijuana in the glove box or something. You know, oh, he must have been impaired or, you know, it's in his system. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're for sure not testing them. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, you know as well as I do, when a cop pulls you over, generally 
and I'm not saying it happens every single time, but generally they're fishing. They're looking for something to get you on. They're not in the business of pulling you over not to write you a ticket or not to arrest you. They don't get any points for that. And and I've known plenty of cops, and I've had plenty of incidents with cops, and it always is the same thing. They're not necessarily uh, doing anything to protect you or the community, as their job is described. Uh, Many, many times they're looking for, you know, um, brownie points and quotas and, and you know, all in climbing up the, the, the political ladder and all in the name of getting bad guys off the street. And I've seen too many guys that weren't bad um, turned into bad guys through these circumstances. I had a laugh. There was a lot of times my business, we worked at night because we worked on trucks and, you know, trucking companies weren't using them at night. So we had a night shift. A lot of times I'd end up going home at, you know, 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning. I'd get pulled over fairly frequently, and the officer would come up with some really off-the-wall excuse. Yeah, I pulled you over when you're, because your license plate light is out. And I would just look at him, oh, let's go check, let's see what's wrong. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Right. <laughs> and they would just end up with, oh, okay, you can go now. You know, they just wanted to smell me to see if I was you know, making my way home from the late night bar. Exactly, exactly. You know, I can understand that if you were to look at statistics and the number of people that are out after 3 o'clock in the morning before 6 o'clock in the morning, there's probably a pretty high rate of those people being problem. But to broad brush paint and not wait for there to actually be a problem, to just randomly pull people over because you got nothing better to do. I'm telling you, I mean, you know, you look and you keep hearing all these, these scandals and all of these abuses of power. I'm saying we've got to we've got to correct the police the policing of our state all the way across the board. I think we have major issues inside and out. I agree, I agree and uh you know just uh they need to keep looking at the war on drugs, you know, especially as, as it, you know, the federal law is applied under the law, the war on drugs. Because they're just giving these people these terribly long 30 and 40 and 50 or even life sentences for victimless crimes. And, I mean, what are they doing for the American public? What are they doing for these families? What did they do for my children, the life support, you know? Yeah, and I mean, and that's and that's the whole issue is you know there's got to be a big picture uh, presence in this when they're not looking at at the effects of any of these things, and you know they're 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 working off of um, very short-sighted and politically driven uh, motivation, and we're getting what we're getting. And the problem I think is that we're just not having any kind of outrage. I keep wondering. You know, when is there going to be a real outrage? We've got all these celebrities, all these sports figures, all of these people that people are paying attention to. They care about what friggin' clothes they're wearing, where they go, what they say, what they do, what they're tweeting. Why aren't these people getting outraged? I'll tell you why. Because it doesn't affect them. And I'm I'm saying, you know, we're, we're, we're continuing to prop up all these people and to idolize them and give them all this this clout and presence, and yet 
we don't demand that they speak for us too. They should be our representatives as well. As you know, uh, there's one, there's a couple of celebrities that have, you know, taken at least a passing interest, but the one that seems to be coming up in a lot of different uh, venues for donating her time and especially for donating money is Kim Kardashian. <laughs> yeah, of all people, go figure. And she is making a difference. You know, she, her uh, coaching president, uh, Trump actually helped free Ellis Johnson, uh, a woman sentenced to life for cocaine with no prior conviction. So people can make a difference. Even her by herself has made a difference, if nothing else, for Ellis Johnson. And for the others that she's hired lawyers for and all that. So, I mean, people can get up and make a That just cut me off. Usually there's two beeps. Uh, it looked like I just got cut off. That wasn't uh, the normal. That wasn't the normal thing. All right, well, I apologize. Generally, Craig gets two, uh, two beeps as a warning to let us know that... Um, He's 15 minutes or up, and I think we got shortchanged a little bit this time, but I don't know what it was. It could have been my phone. So for those of you who don't know, Craig Cecil is serving life in prison, and it's for pot, even though he didn't have any pot. Um, he was a truck repairman. He had a, a truck repair company that repaired uh, a fleet of trucks, many fleets of trucks, and one of his clients happened to be a pot smuggler that would smuggle pot in hidden compartments and, and they would bring the trucks to him when they were all done with it to repair them, put them back together as trucks. So his actions had nothing to do with smuggling pot other than, you know, indirectly, I guess it, it helped with their with their company, but he personally had nothing to do with, with smuggling pot. But when this thing went down and they started to uh, bust this, smuggling ring, um, he got caught into it because one person ratted on one person, got ratted on one person, and he ended up getting hit for the conspiracy to commit these crimes. And if you know anything about conspiracy laws, um, they literally tie everybody into um, what happened simply by being part of or agreeing to be part of it in any way. And that's what happened to him. He's the one serving life in prison. Everybody else that was involved with this ring, um, are not in prison anymore, or never went. And uh, Craig's left holding the ball. So uh, we support him wholeheartedly, and we've put out many uh, press releases on his behalf, many calls to action on his behalf. Um, and uh, there's a current issue going on with the guards that we're um, putting together a call to action as well. Um, so. That's what this is all about, folks. It's not about uh, one person getting to do one thing. It's about making a world where there aren't any more Craig Cecils. There aren't any more Michael Thompsons. We're going to talk about Michael in a few minutes after we're uh, finished with our conversation with Candace. So let's go back to Candace and um, Candace Dyer here. Sorry, I think I said your name wrong the first time I brought you up, and I apologize for that. Um, oh, you're good. So Candace. I, I don't know if you've ever heard about Craig before, but 
what I find is a lot of people that are activists um, and and they're they're working hard towards some particular act. Sorry, my dogs are going crazy, and you're good. I just love working in my home studio. Um, anyways, uh, most people generally have no idea that there are people serving life in prison for pot. They just don't right. get it. They don't know it. And we live in a world, I live in California, where we, for the last 23 years, have had a law that allowed some people to do some things. And when you tell people that are in the industry, and I put giant quotes around the industry, right? that there are people serving life in prison for pot, they scratch their heads and say, well, I thought it was legal. And that's really uh, yeah, a exactly. issue. We have ignorance. We have yes. huge, huge layers of ignorance. So tell me a little I bit agree. about your cannabis open carry walk and, and, and uh, what you guys are doing. And it sounds like you're working to uh, end this ignorance, and maybe we can find a way to work together. Most definitely we are definitely trying to end the ignorance. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, COCW is actually a group of a lot of activists all over Texas. I'm just a Johnson County organizer. Um, but what we do is uh, we were a group uh, that first started COCW. We're getting around a table and like, look, what's missing? Um, we, normal does its thing. They go to the courthouse. They beg the prosecutors and all, or not the prosecutors, but they beg the different senators and everybody to do make changes in the laws and stuff. And you got them working really hard at that. But there was nobody out there like on the streets talking to people because we you notice that the biggest problem, like you just said, is ignorance. They really do not know. They believe so much propaganda about this, and they're just ignorant to the fact that, like you said, millions of people are in jail for a plant, and like uh, the, how the health benefits of it alone, they just don't know. They were told that it was this evil thing, and uh, so our job is to get out there on the streets with signs and flags and get people honking and excited about cannabis and talk to people one-on-one out there on the streets and talk about cannabis because nobody wants to talk about it. But we need to get people talking. And so, yeah, education is a big part of what we do. And then also we do go to Austin because you cannot petition here in Texas, unfortunately. Um, They took that right away from us. (laughs) And so you have to, like, kiss ass, basically, to try to change these laws and these dang baby steps are just driving us crazy. (laughs) Well, how many people do you have um, connected to this organization? Well, man, we got uh, Dallas, we got Fort Worth, we got uh, Arlington, Johnson County, San Antonio, Austin, Houston, Baytown. I can't name them all. Um, We got so many people all around Texas that are main organizers for that area and work just as hard as I do. And... um, they do the same thing we do. Um, we were doing walks pretty much every weekend, but we've kind of slowed down due to the bills that are coming around. And we're try- we only get a chance at this at every two years. So we're focused on these bills right now. But as soon as this is over, we're going to hit the streets again. And this time we're going to start voting people out and getting rid of the people who are just playing around and not listening to us. 
and making our voices heard. We're not, we're done asking. We really are. We played their little game for a year. We went to the Austin and we, we uh, begged and pleaded to people who weren't really listening and didn't really care. And uh, we tried it their way. So we're kind of done with that. Our next step is hitting the streets. We're going to be working with the jury nullification. Um, we're going to be uh, hitting hard, telling people who they need to vote out if they want cannabis in. Well, what are your thoughts about working with uh, another organization that's like-minded that maybe – um, you know, find ways that we can both be better than each of us doing the same thing by ourselves. Man, I'm telling you, unity is the key to this. If we don't get all together and start working and quit doing this little individual thing, um, it's never going to get done. We have to join together, and we have to get this done together. That's the only way it's going to happen here. This is Texas. It's going to be the toughest state. Are you available to join a call tomorrow at noon Pacific time? Sure. Okay, so after we're done here, I want you to stay on the line, and our screener, Becca, is going to give you the calling information, and I'm going to invite you uh, every Tuesday and Thursday, the, the leadership team of the Human Solution International gets together on a conference call, and we certainly welcome members and leaders of other groups to participate and come up with things that we could do to work together and maybe accomplish more uh, in a unified way. And so oh, wow. I'm going to invite yes. you officially to join together with us and find a way that we can work together um, as a more unified voice. And I think that that's the key to us. There's so many. Well, I really little, appreciate that. Of course, of course. Well, that's what I've been all about for the last 10 years and, Sometimes I win and sometimes I lose, but I keep on trying. Anybody that knows me knows I don't have the give it up gene. So we um, can't stop, I, man. We got to keep moving. You're absolutely right. All right, there's Janice, too many well, lives at stake. Yes, we're looking at, at running out of time right here. So I'd like to give you an opportunity to tell us if somebody wants to get involved in Texas and they want to participate. Participate with the Cannabis Open Carry Walk organization and get out there and help spread information and, and participate with people that care about making change in their in their world, how do they get a hold of you? Yes, um, on uh, Facebook, uh, we have Cannabis Open Carry Walks. Um, you can go to our Facebook page. You can go to Instagram at 420 Open Carry, and you can go to uh, 420opencarry.com and find us there. So, Excellent. Well, I, I very much appreciate you calling, and um, as with all of my guests, I issue an open invitation. Um, anytime that you have any reason that you want to share something with us, um, you don't need to be a featured guest to do it. You can uh, just simply call up the show, and anybody who calls into the show as a voice. So from this point forward, anytime every Wednesday from 5 to 6 Pacific time, I do the same show with the same call-in information, and I'm officially welcoming you to call in if you have an event that's coming and you want to publicize, or um, if we end up putting together a specific project or program, um, certainly give a, uh, give you a, a, a place to talk and, and reach a different oh, wow. audience. 
Well, thank you all very much for uh, giving me a voice today and uh, letting us uh, get our word out there. Well, you're very welcome. And, uh, again, I look forward to stay on the line. And Becca's going to reach out to you and um, give you the contact information for tomorrow's call. And, awesome. Um, that way we'll, we'll talk to you tomorrow at noon Pacific time, okay? Okay, cool. Thank you so much. Candace Dyer, folks, um, you know, I've been working hard. Uh, I've worked with a number of people in Texas over the years, but never been able to put together a chapter in Texas. And so I'm glad to see that there are people doing good work out there, and who knows, maybe we'll, uh, we're heading in that direction, at least working together with some good folks. All right, so we have uh, Darren Elliott from Ohio, and this is uh, – an individual that has called into the show numerous times has a case kind of similar to Glenn Keeling's and Peggy's a ridiculous case in a state that's supposed to be legal and supposed to allow for certain things. And they were following uh, what the law allowed, but they're still fighting a case. Go figure, right? Um, we got Glenn Keeling on the line, and then we got Tom Corby and uh, we've only got about <clears throat> 10 minutes left to do it all. But this is, important and I want to talk about this we've talked about Michael Thompson for a long time now and on my Joe Grumbine public figure page on Facebook I posted a link today to an article um, in a publication called The Intercept and the title of the article is in a world of legal weed Michael Thompson languishes in prison for selling it in 1994, and it's written by Tana Genova. And this was brought to my attention by Dee Dee Kirkwood, which is a very familiar name. She's been a member of the Human Solution and an activist for many years. And, um, you know, she's a, a hardcore advocate for those people that have been victimized by the war on drugs and found themselves in prison, especially those that have been locked up for life. And Dee Dee's been working with Michael for a long time, as, as have I. And what happened was um, one of our guests in the past, uh, Jeff Eichen, who um, will be on the show again soon probably. Anyways, he's been working with Michael as well. And by working with, I mean advocating to get him the hell out of there. In Michigan, they have medical laws. They have recreational laws. At one point, we had five chapters in Michigan. Today, we don't have any. Everybody has decided that their cases are over or the new people aren't fighting the way they used to, and um, the industry has become more important. And I hate to break it down like that, but the way I see it, that's what, that's what it looks like. Maybe it's different than that. I know there's still some activists out there, but... Um, Certainly not enough, and they're not certainly doing enough because Michael Thompson's still serving a 40 to 60 year sentence in prison in Michigan, in state prison, not federal prison, where the state laws allow people to do business with pot. But back in 1994, Michael got busted, and here he sits. Anyways, bottom line is this article has been a game changer and a lot of people are coming out of the woodwork and they're reaching out to him and um, 
Michael is trying to get in touch with Sean King. And Sean King is an activist that I don't personally know, but apparently he's been out there for a while. And if anybody knows Sean King or knows how to get a hold of him, <coughs> we need to put Sean in touch with Michael. Anyways, um, Michael, I'm, I'm going to be posting this. I'm going to be publishing a blog post uh, today or tomorrow. I was going to try to do it today, but today has really slipped through my fingers, and um, uh, it'll probably come out tomorrow. But anyways, this is how to get a hold of Michael. And please, if anybody, and I'm going to edit the um, the post I put on the Joe Grumbine public page to include this, uh, probably before, right when the show's over. Anyways, Michael Thompson, Muskegon, that's spelled M-U-S-K-E-G-O-N, Correctional Facility, 2400 South Sheridan Drive, S-H-E-R-I-D-A-N, Muskegon, Michigan, 49442-6298. And please reference his ID number, Michael Thompson, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N, and his number is 176309. And they have a system called JPay. That's letter J and then Pay, P-A-Y. Um, that's like an email system. And if you've ever interacted with uh, state prisoners, um, JPay is a good way to do it. It's similar to the Coralink system that the federal system has. Anyways, um, as with all of our campaigns, the more people that get involved, the more people that participate, the more likely we are to accomplish something. And the louder our voice speaks as one, the more likely we are to do something with it. Picture it as a water jet. If you take a hose and put it into a sprinkler with 100 points of water shooting up in the air, you're going to water some ground but you're not going to move anything. And that's unfortunately our activist world with a thousand little individual groups of two and three and one and five. Um, we have this little sprinkler that, that takes all of the combined energy that we have as, as, as a human resource and we spray it up into the air and it blows away as a mist and gets things lightly damped, which is lovely, but really doesn't get much done. However, if we were to take all that energy and we were to run it through a single nozzle and point it at something, they have this thing that they use in um, uh, cutting stone and metal, and they call it the water laser and water jet technology. And they can literally cut marble and they can cut metal and they can cut any kind of thing with water if it's focused and pressurized. And if we do that correctly, we can cut and shape our world as we see fit. And that's all I'm asking. I don't think that's too much. So let's join together. Um, if you know Sean, let's, let's get a hold of him and uh, let him know this is how to reach Michael. All right. We've got four minutes left. We'll probably run a couple of minutes long, but we're going to kind of blast through this pretty quick. Let's get to Darren Elliott from Ohio, and let's see what's going on. Darren, welcome to the show. It's been a little while since we've talked. Yeah, how you doing, Joe? Um, a little disappointed, man. 14 months and six offers later, uh, we finally I finally took a plea. 
I hate. I, I really oh, didn't want to, but how did that go? Where did you end up taking a well, cocktail? Well, well, I, well, I, I pled no contest to a misdemeanor for possession, which I can appeal in the sixth district court. I didn't plead guilty to anything, and the only reason okay. I pled, um, yeah, the only reason I pled no contest to the minor misdemeanor uh, for possession was because they dismissed the charges on both the females. And my girlfriend was one of the females, and she was on probation. If she would have found got found guilty of any charge, she would have got sent to prison. So I just – but this was our sixth deal. They offered us a, a misdemeanor deals with no jail time, and I, I refused it. And I told, But I told them at the end, if you get the, the charges dismissed against both the females, because my girlfriend also was on the G, GPS EMU box for 11 months while this case was going on because of of this case, the medical case. So we've been fighting, driving back and forth, seven seven hour round trips. They keep running us back and forth, telling us the same deal. I keep turning it down, and I finally told them if they get dropped, dismiss the charges against both the females, we'll plead no contest to a minor misdemeanor possession. And we pled no contest. They found us guilty, and my 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 lawyer, uh, 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 almost made it where the judge didn't take our plea because. He was arguing the affirmative defense, which is going to be a brought up in appeal of court that we're already filing paperwork to appeal it in the sixth district because we didn't plead guilty, we pled no contest, and that was that was only to to get the women out just totally out of the way because if not it was, it was our sixth deal, if not we was going to trial because they done offered us like a, a few other misdemeanor deals we turned down. Well, and I want to clarify some things because I've been through the court system numerous times and, and I've been to court for people all over the country and I want people to understand this is a tactic that they use. This is gangster tactic. This is the yeah. kind of tactic that thugs use and it, and it works, unfortunately. So the courts have two major tools that they use. One is where they're at. You know, in my case, I had... Yeah drive 75 miles to work or to, to court every day and um, you know it, it wasn't several hours but it was at least two hours most days and each way so I you know I was putting four to five hours on the road just to get to and from court many times it was just for a continuance and I'd drive out there and lose yeah. a whole day of working whatever it was I was going to do and just to show up and, and Lawyers uh, uh, get a continuance. Meanwhile, the court, they're there every day. They're just going to work like every other day, and that's one yeah. of the things that gets you. Sometimes they've even taken and transferred cases to further venues. I, I know of a case where um, the actual court that the trial was being held in was in uh, a local county to where the, the defendant lived, and then right at the last second when they saw there was a bunch of supporters there, they transferred it to a very far away court in the same county, and it made it to where only a handful of them could make it. And that guy ended up also taking a plea deal. Um, and it was a similar situation because his, his wife got let off, and uh, he ended up doing time over it. Anyways, that's the first way to get us is by um, just the difficulty of going to court and fighting a case. Many, many people have spent... I spent over 200 trips going to court over six years in my case, 
and it was just because I was just dogged and I wouldn't let go. And I didn't have my wife or anybody else um, that was facing charges. And I don't know what it would have done if they, they had. But that's the second thing they do. You know, the gangsters, when they want to hurt you, they don't come after you. Or they might. They might pull a couple of teeth out or yank some fingernails or whatever. But if they really want to hurt you, they go after your family and loved ones. And that's what these right. motherfuckers do. Pardon my French, but that's what they do. And that's yeah, who they the are. Part, and the, the, they the use every thing that my. Ahead, you know, the plus thing, the, the plus thing that my lawyer did that that we we did on purpose was enter a no contest plea. We 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 figured the judge was going to find us guilty because of the no contest plea, but because we did not plead guilty, we we can we're filing paperwork to appeal it, and my lawyer's pretty confident that we will get it overturned in appeal of court and get it dismissed. So I think well, overall, what what the whole the whole deal was is. My lawyer played played like this to me. He said we can take the risk and go to trial, or get them get their charges dismissed, and there's no contest plea. The judge will most likely find you guilty, but instead of taking the, the chance of rolling the dice and 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 playing with 30 years, because we was all facing 33 years in prison, he said, "And there's no contest plea, and we can still beat it in the appellate court, and you're getting one year inactive probation." So I'm looking at it as a as I'm compromising, and I'm gonna beat it in an appellate court. I agree, and I and, and I can respect that. I, I understand where your position is, and I understand having a loved one, um, you know, with prison time hanging over them for something like this. And it's one thing yeah. for an individual to to stand uh, to stand tall and, and fight for themselves, as was my case. But when you got somebody else, you know, that they're they're holding hostage, it's a, it's another yeah. conversation. But the end of the yeah, day, if I would have been me, I would have went to trial. I'm well, sorry. And, and if it had just been me, I would have went to trial. I would have went to trial. No, I, 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 I 100% understand, and that's, you know, that's the issue, though, is they, they play that leverage because, you know, if you go to trial and you lose, you're going to lose big because that's how, that's how it's stacked. But if you win, right. they got nothing on you, and that's, that's what the chance that they generally don't want to take. And that's why, you know, 97% of all cases are settled in a plea deal because they pressure any which way they can to settle those deals. And, and so many times I've seen where they're, they, they hold 20, 30 years over you and then they settle for a misdemeanor. What does that tell you? It tells you yeah, it's, not crime. it's not about anything you did that hurt anybody. It's about some effing prosecutor trying to get another notch on their belt and that's all that it really matters so um i you know it's it's unfortunate that um you know i wish i had more people willing to to even stand and take it as far as you did most people unfortunately you know when they first arrest you and they threaten you with that time and then they come and they give you that first deal offer most people came yeah. right there most people say that was when our they last tell deal you, I understand. That was our last that's, deal. It was set for trial yeah. after that. Our next, our next court date was trial date. Well, I, uh, I, I hope this. I hope that though your case is over, um, that you decide to still stay and help fight. We still have a lot of work oh, to do. And, and yeah, and good. our case ain't over. We're still going to appeal it. We're staying in appeal of court, and and yeah, we're we're still going to stay active because. 
we see uh, we, we've been through it ourselves and it put us through hell and we we're we've talked about it we we can't see other people suffer by their hands like how we've suffered i mean we just trying to get we need to pull ourselves back together because we've been through 14 months of hell i mean our, our our trips to court were seven hours round trip like we just had a seven hour round trip ride today i mean non-stop it's just it's it's tiring and yeah, it takes a lot out of you. The people that are facing these charges are people that are sick to begin with. So, you know, Darren, I hope that, like I said, um, as you're going through your appeal, and I hope you win. In my case, I won my appeal, and and ultimately the state dropped the case against me after I was convicted in a jury trial. So, you know, I standing tall and keeping on fighting to the last second is the only chance you have to win, and I want to hear about that. You're staying fighting and winning, but no matter what, hopefully if you hear about somebody else that's willing to stand up and fight a case, that you'll be able to stand along with them and participate like we do and, and just be out there. Keep your voice loud and, and, and you know, keep being willing to do what it takes to, to join up with people that are willing to stand up and make a difference. Yeah. I plan on. I know Peggy and them got a court date coming up real soon. We were yeah, talking about yeah, trying to make it there. It's coming up the twenty fourth, I believe. Yeah, this Friday, I think they've got a they've got a court date. So hopefully, you guys can be there with them. And appreciate uh, that you shared your story along with us. And um, you know, let's let's just keep I'll going. Keep we you, gotta I'll win keep this. you updated. I appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you so thank much, you. and um, you know, we'll talk soon. All right, thanks a lot, Joe. You have a good night. You got it. Darren Elliott, folks, Ohio. And, and again, this is a, a common story. And on some level, it's a good story because if somebody gets busted and you take that first plea deal, you're going to get hit probably with the worst thing that you ever could. If you hold your ground, and even if you were planning on taking a plea deal, if that was the only thing you were ever going to do and you said, I don't ever want to go through a trial, because trust me, a trial is hell. I was 18 days on the, in the dependency, 18 days of hell. And I can tell you I wouldn't ever want to do that again, and I wouldn't want to see anybody that I, I love have to go through it. These prosecutors are ruthless. They lie. The lead detective was evil chased away witnesses, did every dirty trick in the book, everything you could ever think of, they do it when you're in trial. They don't want to be there, and they don't want you to be there. So they do what they can to, 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 to get what they want. Okay? And what they want is not justice. What they want is a kill. And that's just the straight-up truth. If you've ever sat in a courtroom, if you've ever, if you've ever been a, a, a defendant in a trial, you know what I say is true. <coughs> <laughs> the point I'm making is if you get busted and you decide no matter what that you're going to end up taking a deal and you're never going to go, don't tell them that. Don't tell anybody that. You tell them I'm going to go to trial. And you go all the way to the last second because I guarantee you at the last second, right before you're about to pick a jury, they'll give you the very best deal there is to be had. That's all I'm saying. So, you know, it might be inconvenient. It might be the biggest pain in the ass in the world. It might cost you a lot of money. But at the end of the day, if you want the best one, you got to go in there and stick your neck out and get in a fight. And if you want the very best one, it's called a victory. It's called what I got. What I got only came because I stayed, stood my ground 
and I wasn't going to bend, and I wasn't going to bow, and they weren't going after my wife, and they weren't going after my kids, and I was able to stand in there with them, and I watched them crumble in the end, and I can tell you there's no feeling better than that, watching that fucking prosecutor come the last time I saw her, and she said, we've decided to drop the case because I beat her. And that's what ultimately happened in the end. The judge ended up retiring because I beat him. And the lead detective, he's probably out there still screwing people, but he didn't get me in the end. So that's what the prize, when it all comes down to it, I lost all the money I'd ever made in my life. I got locked up and I spent time in, in, in jail for something I shouldn't have, and it was brutal. I almost lost everything I ever had, but you know what? When it all comes down to it, the community stood by me, and I forged some relationships that are strong and will always be there with me, and I believe by simply doing that, by that simple act, I made a difference in the world, and I began what this is now, and we're carrying it forward, and we're going to stay the course until we're done. And so it was worth it. It is worth it, and that's how it is. Even if you end up going to trial and losing, you know what? There's there's an honor to that. And and if you get convicted for something that shouldn't be a crime, the crime's on them. All right, here we go, Gwen. Um, I know you don't really have much of an update. I know you're going to be in court on Friday, um, and we're there with you. And um, I'm already over time, and I've got some company here. So we're going to go to Tom Corby to close the show down. And uh, I think that's what we got for today. Tom Corby, welcome to the show. You're live on the air. I want to thank you, Joe and Becca and Mary, always, Lisa Woolridge, and all those on the front line coming together to find and prohibition. Free all our POWs like Michael Thompson. What an absurd case. So he's this. When I got that first package, then I sent it to you, Joe, from him. What a package. I remember. Then I, yeah, I found out his major, uh, I think the plot charges were dropped from right, and then he's charged for three gun violation, uh, and they don't even fire. Am I right on that, Joe? Yeah, there was an antique gun that didn't even work, and and I, I think there was another gun that wasn't even his. It was it was bogus. It was a trumped up uh, trumped up charges, but, but and uh, it was a vindictive prosecution and a vindictive judge. Well, yeah, that's why they have too much power. And Donna brought up their corrupt cops, bandits with badges, always follow the money. So. Uh, I want to thank everybody. Uh, I didn't want to sound another alarm after Thursday night. I'm back to Orwell Hospital. Uh, thank Frank and Ann, Nick Moran, all the people here helping us, Bob Jared. Uh, you already know, George, that I, I don't know, after, right after I met you, I had a hernia operation for the VA. Well, on that left side, so people know, and I'm your, the reason I'm bringing this out, what a lesson we learned. What you hear 
causing all this because all the doctors and the surgeons thought, like Dr. Allen said, you're probably going to need a surgery on the lower hernia down below. Dr. Badgey, because it uh, actually said, yeah, she feels like it's it's more of a groin hole because uh, it doesn't uh, it's not indicative of that. So it turns out basically. I have to believe because what's causing all this, the evil, dangerous killer, mold, causing all these problems. Now, you probably know, Joe, and you've been here that my shop's been flooding for years, and we're trying to, trying to uh, get it fixed mostly. Well, it leaked in my room, too, and I didn't realize it got in the rug for three days. When I, I saw the wet, I, I lifted the rug up, and uh, I almost hit the floor from the mold smell, especially in rugs. So Nick and Frank and crew, we tore all the rugs out and just have throw rugs in. We're still drying out right here. Uh, the rain, it rained so hard here last night, it just poured. You can't even go out the shop door. Frank was trying to get out, and I can't get out of there. Yeah, and... Uh, <clears throat> Don't forget to breathe. So what happens is is uh, we know that, that our lungs uh, are one of our part of our immune system, a big part, and, and they clean out like the air and like mold. And, and that's where, of course, uh, you can have walking pneumonia, probably had that, and an pneumonia. So when, when you get this, you must take an experiment and a histamine that's, that's what we're getting down to now. Uh, yeah, to stay on top of the mold. So we're looking right here outside the shop and because it's poor here, we've been cleaning up and drying out <laughs> all morning. And so uh, I, I had CAT scans, uh, ultrasound, and uh the surgeon came and said, the good news is you don't have another hernia. I do have a little one on the right side. And she said, the problem is we can't figure out what it is. So epididymis, epididymis is probably was from the mold actually in the scrotum. Think about it. So mold, whoa. We must be careful with mold. And then in my ceilings and shop, we see mold, you know, so we're going to tear it all out. This is just such a warning. It almost killed me, frankly, tell you. Yeah, yeah that uh, about four times I uh, coughed and threw up uh, pine of mucus, and, and I thought I didn't know if I'd make it. So when I was in there, it's not only the groins. So the main thing is I was got really sick, and uh, sometimes the nurses said that you have to get worse before you get better. And actually, uh, that's a good point. A lot of times, it's just rest and getting what you need, and uh, of course, fasting uh, helps a lot. And don't forget to breathe, Tom. Right. <laughs> and uh, Frank, 
Oh, Donna, Donna's uh, my daughter Queen is here. Nick's still here, Liz, and of course my mission man Frank. What do I do without Frank? <laughs> you know very well, Joe. She uh, she's improving again. It's going to be a slow. My daughter uh, Karina, who's that, I actually has her lifting her left arm up and stuff, and she's getting a lot of real real nice therapy. So, Team Donna, you're part of the hot crew. You know that, Joe. <laughs> well, we yeah, love you, Donna. We're we're uh, we're glad that you got a good crew around you. That's for sure. I want to see you up there doing jumping jacks pretty quick. <laughs> well, yeah. So uh, we know how important our doctors are, and of course, most folks that are in our movement know who Dr. David Allen is and Dr. Lawrence Badgley, Doc A and B. <laughs> Dr. Badgley is probably one of the most knowledgeable doctors. He examined me twice. He was pretty much right on his diagnosis. Uh, I don't know if you're keeping up with Dr. Allen. Uh, he got in Mississippi, he got his uh, Blue Hole property back thanks to Cone. They went together, and they actually made it go without a fuss, I guess. I haven't heard it. <laughs> you know what? Well, up and down. Yes, I do. Right. So he's there, and he wants us to fly out there. And I, 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 I don't like flying. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah, that's, yeah, really. That's and, and humid. The red state. So, uh, I wish you were here, Joe. And uh, Dr. Bowsley's coming tomorrow night. Richard Hemsley, who you met, you know, that we went for court support in federal, Sacramento right. Federal. And he fought his ground, folks. And it's unusual to win federal, but Richard Hemsley, he's a pretty sharp guy. And, and, uh, so he stood his ground. Folks, that's what we always do. We take him to trial. We want a 45-day uh, time waiver. Start putting the pressure on. They don't like to work. We know that. And so so if we, uh, every time, if you have a defendant out there or you, you have a new defendant, the number one thing is, of course, big letters, capital discovery. And, of course, Dan Levine, I know, Joe, but Dan Levine told me the longer you keep these cases go on, he's got a plan on it. Sometimes they usually go away, as ours did, and and people like Frank Canan, Nick Moran, standing their ground, and don't let them push you around, because <laughs> they will. And so and immediately... Uh, there's going to be nothing but continuance. Why? Because both the defendant, PA, Ramsey, have to have time to view the discovery. So we've learned, and we have to save our energy and our expenses for priorities, which is trial. 
Not to say that preliminary hearing isn't important, but I've been pointed out it's not what it used to be because there you go, too much power. So and, and another thing that once you start subpoenaing people and you set an injunction, lawsuit, when you, they hear a lawsuit, and they hear the doctors coming, and they hear the human solution, and the national coming. These cases are going away before it even starts. So that's what we do. We come together, joining, volunteering to be the solution to end prohibition. And thank you all today. If there's anything else, Joe, don't forget to breathe. <laughs> right. All right. Well, thank you guys. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Frank and, and Donna. We love you. And, uh, the whole rest of the team out there, you guys are amazing. And uh, don't worry, I'll sneak up on you again one day soon. <laughs> All right, folks, well, it's been another great show. And uh, I look Thank forward you. to talking to you all next week. And let's see what Willie Nelson has to say about it all. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse The Human Solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Things I should have said and done You were always on